Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about one place and one place only, and all the paranormal stuff that happens there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you obviously didn't read the description of this episode. If you're driving, look down at the screen. If you can look down, don't don't get yourself in an accident. If you have the ability to look down at the screen, go ahead, boom, there you go. Now you know what this episode's about. For everybody else, you're going to have to wait, because first, as always... We have shout-outs. That's right, we have shout-outs going out to Liam Izzardbreath, Dusty, Roger, Michael, Dustin, Matthew, Alicia, Derek, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Joshua, Elizabeth, Voitech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Paul, Chris, Ricardo, Danger Duck. Oh, wait, no, that's Damien and Daniel. Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexander, George, Connie, Seth, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that? Loki, Ian, Carrie, Ezra, Robin, Will, Trucker Jim, Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Russell, Tanya, Donald, April, that's uh, Dorian and Isaac, Cindy, Bob, the Sean Bishop, Cole, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Lindsay, Hawn, Megan, Aaron, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren McCune, hey, howdy, hi, Lily, Nick, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Laura, Ruth, O, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Dill, Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan. But... This episode is produced and brought to you by Chris Jones. With a special shout-out, as always, to Joe Teague. Alrighty, let's get right on in to Paranormal News. Hey! What time is it? It's time for Paranormal News. The first story in Paranormal News... Hopefully you guys can't hear the fish tank and backs being very loud recently, so hopefully you can't hear that. But if you can, just think of it as like some kind of relaxing spa version of paranormal news. The first story in paranormal news, government report on UFOs finds no evidence of aliens, but no evidence it's not aliens either. So apparently, according to the New York Times, they say the upcoming government report draws very few conclusions. That pisses me off. Look, tell me one way or another. Say, boom, it's not aliens. Or, boom, it's aliens. But don't go, well, we really kind of don't know what it is. We're kind of looking into it. It's a lot of stuff. It could be another country. It could be like Russia or Chinese, but it could be the aliens. We don't really know. And what I also don't like about this, about as much as this article I'm going to read, but what else I don't like about this is that they aren't talking about the recovered wreckage the U.S. government said it has that's supposed to be mentioned in this um paper, and the materials not of this earth that's supposed to be mentioned in this release. So I'm going to wait and read it myself before I say what they say or don't say. But yeah, according to New York Times, they've seen it. There's no conclusions. That mangers me. But again, that doesn't mean that it's not aliens. They are. They never clearly said, hey, here's the report about uh, these weird UFO UAVs. And the, all the report says, it's not aliens. Then I would go, oh, okay, it's not aliens. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say it is. Doesn't say it ain't. All right, up next, paranormal news. Explaining the psychology behind why people believe aliens exist. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, there's a report coming out. Scheduled schedule to be released on June 25th, 15 days from now. Uh, says that more than 120 accounts of unidentified flying objects do not appear to be evidence of secret U.S. technology, but also doesn't eliminate the possibilities. Officials who were briefed on the document told the, U the New York Times that there is still no explanation for the sightings. So, reactions of this have been mixed, with some saying the report reveals nothing, while others accuse the government of covering up the existence of aliens. Belief in aliens has persisted for centuries, and one-third of Americans believe that UFOs People have spotted have been alien spacecraft visiting Earth from other planets or galaxies, according to a 2019 Gallup poll. 
And while 60% think that that unusual sightings can be explained by human activity or natural phenomena, 7% say they're unsure. So let's see, we've got half that say they're aliens, 60% that say they're, they can be explained, and 7% that say they're unsure. Is it me or is that 117%? Then another Gallup poll found that 68% of people believe that the government knows more about UFOs than it reveals. It's important to distinguish between the questions, do, do you believe aliens exist and do you believe aliens have ever visited the Earth? According to Christopher French, head of the Anomalistic Psychology Research Unit at the University of London. He says many scientists would answer yes to the first question while making it clear to date we have no proof of that and no to the second question because we would find that evidence put forward to support visits from extraterrestrials are unconvincing. So they say, what makes people believe in aliens? Well, peers play a role. Clinical psychologist John Mayer says that um, he has known and treated many people over the years that believe in aliens and found that they're often surrounded by other people who share the same views. Thus, they are reinforced by their beliefs. Well, I'm calling bullshit on that because all through my youth, I was the only one that I knew of that believed in aliens and believed in UFOs. So, bullshit. Uh, let's see. French agrees, saying environment plays a huge role in determining levels of beliefs in alien visitations, meaning if your family and friends believe in aliens, you're likely to do the same. Again, bullshit. I have a lot of friends that kind of tease me about this podcast because they don't believe in any of it. I've got some really stupid friends that are, there's no possible way, blah, 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 science says. Then I've got some really smart friends that go, well, I don't really believe in it, but you know, whatever. So I don't think so. Next up, they say that media can influence views. That's right, the way that newspapers, TVs, TV news, and social media talk about aliens does matter. Research shows that the way that the media represents information on this topic, or presents this information, can affect a level of belief. If you're constantly reading reports about mysterious flying objects, you're more than likely to believe that there's more to the story. Eh, maybe. And then... Um, they can sway you as well. Reports from reputable sources enable this thinking. Such reports can lock in your thinking because your beliefs are not being refuted, like this report that is coming out that doesn't say anything. All right, I can kind of get behind that. And he says it's understandable that intelligence and military services would be interested in reports of strange things in the sky. They're primarily, ah, fuck this guy. Yes, of course they are. As even ufologists admit, 95% of all UFO sightings can be readily explained in mundane terms if investigated, says French. That's not true. So this guy just made up a stat to, you know, verify his own findings. There is no finding that says that ufologists admit 95%, 95% plus of all UFO sightings can be readily explained in mundane terms if investigated. Bullshit. That's as far into that one as I'm gonna read because look, if you're gonna give me stats, give me stats, but make sure the stats make sense. I'm, you know, I'll be honest with you if you be honest with me. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, the first on-site Nessie sighting of 2021 has been recorded, that's right. Sure, there's been some sites, uh, sightings online, but the seventh Nessie reported sighting of the year and the first on-site encounter with the creature just happened in 2021. The uh, prior six cases all came by way of people who were watching the Loch Ness webcam and managed to record something anomalous in the water. Now, let's see if they actually say who the person is that actually saw it. I'm going to go to it right here. June 2nd, a young man visiting from Cambridge saw an unidentified creature for two seconds close to the castle on Wednesday, June 2nd, around 1.30 p.m. while scanning the lock surface with binoculars from the castle site. He said a hump came up going against the, the waves, looking like a turtle's back, black in color, with a green tinge to it. He reported that the weather was warm and sunny with excellent visibility. So that one just happened like eight days ago. That's rad. Good job on the young dude that gets to watch the lock from the castle, because I want to do that. I want to do that really badly. All righty, up next in paranormal news. Mermaid blamed for car crash in Jamaica. That's right, a fatal car crash on a bridge in Jamaica. It says that uh, it was caused by a bloodthirsty mermaid. 
The accident, which saw one woman die and nine other people require hospitalization when a pair of vehicles collided head-on, reportedly took place in the town of Bogwalk on Tuesday morning. The crash occurred just days after another incident at the bridge where a woman also perished, leading to, leading to many in the community to cast the blame on a mermaid. Frequent visitor to the river, Daniel Gale, explained that the legend has it that whenever the river changes its colors and appears dirty, that's when it's dangerous and usually when the mermaid is active. His assertion that there is a sinister supernatural being living in the water beneath the bridge was echoed by another resident who recalled an incident decades ago where a fisherman pulled a giant scale from the water and claimed that it came from a creature with a fish's tail and a human's head. When the man went back to the river to try and catch the mermaid, it had said, the mermaid killed him. Another uh, decades-old tale was seemingly confirmed by another residence, dubbed Lady G, who revealed that when the unfortunate man's body was found, it was discovered that the creature had attached a string of fish to his shorts in what one assumes was some kind of warning to others who might dare to tangle with the mermaid. The river is haunted, she said. It has its, it has its time when it takes a lot of lives, then it cools down. Nothing can be done about it. Oh, well, if nothing can be done about it, well, then I guess everybody go about your business. Try not to die on a bridge in Jamaica from a bloodthirsty mermaid. Up next in paranormal news, a crate containing a quote-unquote captured Sasquatch turns heads on a highway. No, they didn't capture Bigfoot, and they sure as shit didn't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Remember, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. But a massive crate that was being transported along a highway in the Midwest over the weekend likely left many motorists scratching their heads because of strange labeling which warned drivers that the odd box contained a captured Sasquatch. According to a local media report, which I'm clicking on right now, there was a Bigfoot sighting possible along I-70 in Colorado. One of the quirkiest things here in Colorado and owners are on a mission to bring him back to our state. The seven foot three beast and his buddy are mechanical. These lifelike figures were oh, made awesome in looking. Ohio and now the pair making a trip back to the museum in Bailey. Truck had big crates marked caution, captured Sasquatch. Oh, it really so does. I'm it's sure warning Sasquatch all over it. Sasquatchoutpost.com. Yeah, I think so. It'll be interesting to see those in the museum. If you're I think it will be. All right. So, yeah, it's a very cool wooden crate with bars on the back that says, look inside, warning Sasquatch. Sasquatchoutpost.com, warning Sasquatch all over it. And inside the crate, as you just heard, was a seven foot three mechanical Sasquatch and a small juvenile created by Unit 70 Studios in, Col in Columbus, Ohio. The pair are headed to the Sasquatch Outpost in Bailey and are expected to arrive on Monday afternoon. I want these things. The crate was built around the bed, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. It's really freaking rad looking. Maybe I'll uh, post the, the link to that news article on Facebook or something because it's definitely worth checking out. They're very cool looking. Alrighty, finally in paranormal news, an odd UFO was spotted in Florida. A Florida man is convinced that he saw something from out of this world when he spotted a pair of puzzling objects hovering in the night sky earlier this week, according to a local media report. So let me click on that media report now. Cape Coral man, oh, I'm using an ad blocker. Oh, hold on a second, everybody on this site. Cape Coral Man. I just paused it on this site. Third time's a charm. Cape Coral Man claims to have seen a UFO. A mysterious object was spotted flying in the sky over Cape Coral on Tuesday evening. The man who saw it uh, said at one point the aircraft was hovering right over his car like they were ready to shine a beam down on him, trying to absorb him into what he calls a UFO. Jose Caro de Gua? Caro de Gua? was on his way home from work when he saw the first of two UFOs. He said it's like nothing he's ever seen before. The light began to separate into two and then came back together. Just five minutes away on the Santa Barbara Boulevard, he took pictures of another craft. It was a black diamond with lights on the side and one red light towards the center, not all the way back to the craft. I was like, holy shit, that's a UFO. That's nothing from here. So he says that uh, we were just in awe. It was right overhead, floating over us, basically. There was no sound. It was magnificent. It's the silent part that catches the attention of 24-year veteran Air Force pilot Kevin Russo. We don't have any silent running aircraft or helicopters that I know of in our world at this time. The craft quickly maneuvered, also read it, the, the craft's quick maneuvering also raised a red flag about was flying over the Cape. It's similar to, it's similar to all the UFO stories. All right, but there's a video 
It doesn't look like it's going to be too impressive, but as always, I wait until the episode to click on the video to see what's You're up. You're never going to be prepared for any accident, especially with bikers. Okay, I don't care about you and your... This I knew was not a plane. That man says he saw a UFO in Cape Coral. Look at the pictures he took. Oh, Do you see it? just a photo. We wanted to take the pictures up with a former Air Force pilot who flew uh. in Desert Storm. He says this looks mm. to him like it's a real UFO, and the federal government agrees. Brand new at 11, ABC 7's Gage Golding is getting us more on why. Okay. The mysterious objects in the sky were spotted right here on Santa Barbara Boulevard. Eh, all right, it's two minutes and 47 seconds of them just talking about what I just told you about, so yeah. UFO was spotted. It's just a photo. It's not a video. And frankly, it's just two white lights, two red lights, and kind of swirling around. I mean, it's a UFO. I don't know what it is. That is definitely the definition of a UFO. All righty. With that, let's take a quick break and be right back. We are back. And you might be saying, Kurt, you missed last week's episode. There was no episode, no new episode last week. And to that I say, nay. No, no, I didn't. Last week was a special patron-only edition just for the patrons, but this week, this one, this one's for everyone. Everyone who wants to listen, that is. All right, let's talk about one location. Sure, it's a big one, but it's just one location. It's Iceland. That's right, we're talking about Iceland today. I wanted to see... The reason I chose this one, let me let me back up for a second. The reason I chose this location is I wanted to see if a remote country would share any ancient paranormal stories or cryptids or anything like that, or if they developed by themselves, which they mostly did. It was an isolated island um, up until, what, like the 17th century or something, 18th century. Um, if, if they had completely different paranormal stories or if all of a sudden, once they you know, joined with all the rest of the cultures, they kind of absorbed those paranormal stories and those cryptids. You know, if the paranormal stuff happens regardless of where you are on this very round earth, or if it is just based on sailors telling stories and, and you know, people coming over from another land and telling you their story and you tell them theirs and blah, 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 you know, back and forth. I really was kind of curious. So let's get into Iceland and the paranormal. And of course, I'm going to give you my disclaimer now. Yes, I'm going to mispronounce things and names and places. It's freaking Iceland. I can say Reykjavik, but if you said, Kurt, quick, spell Reykjavik, I'm going to get the first letter right and then maybe a K in there, and then that's about it. So I sure as shit can't spell it is what I'm saying, and I'm sure as shit can't say a lot of this stuff correctly, and I apologize beforehand. There's a lot of uh, YouTube channels and stuff and podcasts that I listen to where they do mispronounce everything, and they don't ever apologize, and I was like, well, you could look that up. Well, not so much for this one. I tried to look up a lot of these, and there really is no uh, vocabulary like, hey, here's pronouncing, how is how you pronounce, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to say things wrong, just kind of accept it. I apologize. All right, so the cool thing I love about Iceland, though, is that it protects its cryptids. I mean, it's very protective of its cryptids. And whether that's because people truly believe in them still, which 55% of the country does believe in the existence of elves and trolls. So the answer is, yeah, they do believe in them still. Or it's whether they do it for tourism or for some other reason that I just can't think of. Why they do it isn't important. The fact that they do protect the cryptids, though, is what I like about Iceland. Like I said, there was a lot of stuff that made me kind of sold, like, I've got to do an Iceland episode one day, and, well, today's the day. So, here came the biggest problem when doing this episode, was how to sort this episode out. So I figured, well, I'm going to sort it out with where I would want to go to the second I got off the plane in Iceland. And that's a place that has a ghost bar. Sold. I am in. Send me to Iceland. I want to go to a ghost bar. That's right. If you go to the ghost center in Stokseri, you'll find a cool self-guided ghost museum. That's right. It's devoted to Icelandic ghosts that date, that date back, you know, hundreds of years. And, well, you know what? Hold on. Let me just read you 
this next part right from their website. And it might take a second for it to come up because it took forever for it to come up before. The Ghost Center is located in the same building as the Icelandic Wonders Museum. It features all of Iceland's most famous ghosts. Ghost appearances are frequently mentioned in the sagas dating back to the beginning of Icelandic history. Now it's located, oh, it's already read that. It features, um, ghosts can appear in all living shapes or forms, and some of these are still around to this day. Upon entry, guests are provided with an iPod to guide them through the 24 ghost stories. Ghosts can, or not ghosts, guests, I suppose ghosts could too. Guests can walk through the ghost maze where they will experience the stories in the environment where the spooky tales actually happened. Now, the stories can be listened to in Chinese, English, German, French, Scandinavian, Japanese, Russian, and Icelandic, of course. And in the reception area, guests will find our ghost bar with drinks and a fabulous view of the ocean. In the ghost bar, guests are joined by a few ghosts, one of which, ooh, the Brennim... Brennivnin's Dragon, the Brennivn's Dragon, alcohol ghost. It's a ghost that likes alcohol that sits in the corner watching over guests while they visit. This ghost is quite kind of Danish blood and loves the taste of liquor. That's right. Ghost Center. I want to go there. They got a ghost bar. Fuck yeah, right? I mean, come on. That's just cool. Okay, with the ghost bars out of the way, now let's talk about Icelandic cryptids. Now, skeptics, I'm going to admit, very early on in this episode, I am with you on some of these. Not even going to lie. Some of these are Bjorken crazy. Like this first one. The first one up is Skelligas Grimsley. Skelligas Grimsley. Skelligas Grimsley. And like I said earlier, the internet doesn't even try to help me pronounce this one. Not even a little bit. If you look up how to pronounce Skelligiscrimsley, well, let me let me do it for you so I don't make a liar out of myself. Pronunciation. Yeah, it 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 it's like, yeah, I don't know what you're trying to say, but it's not Skelligiscrimsley. And again, I, I apologize because I know I'm saying it wrong. I'm not even I'm not even gonna kid myself that I'm saying it right. Oh wait, I might have found how to say it. How to say it in Icelandic? Yes. No, just tell me how to say it. Skeljaskrimsli. Ooh, ooh, I found one. Hold on, let's listen to that dude again. Skeljaskrimsli. Skeljaskrimsli. That's close. I just put a J on there. Skeljaskrimsli. All righty, Skeljaskrimsli is a bear, well, no, it's a bear-like hippo-sized animal. So it's a bear-like animal, it's a hippo-sized animal, but it has blue scales like that of a pangolin, and now it's often described as being black, except it just said it's blue, so I'm going to guess it's not really blue. And then the very next part of the description, it has seaweed and shells on it. All right, so to recap, it's a bear-like hippo-sized blue-scaled black-furred thing covered in shells and seaweed. Now, it also has long claws, which it uses to hold onto rocks at the bottom of the sea when the weather gets stormy. That's right. It actually spends its time under the sea. Now, it's been spotted in Iceland since the 18th century, but sadly, sightings have pretty much dropped off since the late 19th century. So my guess is if it was real, that's a big fucking if, but if it was real, it died a really long time ago. Now, some people think that Skelly might be the same thing as this next one, which is still seen to this day. So, maybe Skelly is still alive and going by a much easier name. It was just like, look, you guys can't pronounce it. People come over and they butcher my name, so just call me Shore Laddie. That's right, Shore Laddie, also known as the Fjorlali or the Beach Walker. Now, the shore laddie is a ram-sized creature with brownish-gray fur covered in muscles and barnacles, which it jingles when it walks, and it either has webbed feet or it has hooves, depending on where you go for all your shore laddie needs. Now, it's found along the coast of the West Fjords of Iceland. And again, depending where you get your info, shore laddie is either a peaceful herbivore just munching grass 
or it's a meat-eating killer cryptid that feeds on sheep and loves to devour pregnant women, or just has sex with the sheep, creating mutant sheep laddie babies. So yeah, just a little bit of difference there. Maybe everybody get your story straight on what the fuck Shore Laddie does and is. But to be safe, here's my Shore Laddie tip for you guys. If you find yourself on the coast of the West Fjords, I recommend carrying a sheep in one hand and some grass in the other hand. Don't let the sheep eat the grass. It'll defeat the whole purpose of this. Hold on. Sheep in one hand, grass in the other hand. And maybe see if you can... Icelandic Craigslist, a pregnant tour guide to walk with you. Then, if you see some freaky barnacle-covered creature, what you do is you push the pregnant woman down. You throw the sheep, and then you throw the grass, all three different, different directions, and then you run to a safe distance to see what it does. If it eats the grass, all right, you're good. You're good. Go back. Help the nice pregnant woman lady back up and say, sorry, I didn't mean to push you down. That thing scared me. But if it, you know, tries to have sex with the sheep, you know, keep it a safe distance till it's done. Then when it's finished, you go and help the pregnant woman back up. But if it goes and kills the pregnant woman, you're on your own. So I guess report back to me so we don't have to have this kind of big discrepancy on a cryptid. Um, and, and also, obviously, take video of it, no matter which one of the three things it does. I don't want to see two of them. I'll, I'll watch it eat grass, but I don't want to watch it have sex with a sheep or kill a pregnant woman. But still, take video of it. Let me know what it does, and I'll tell you, like, yeah, okay, I want to see the video, or, yeah, no, thank you, I don't want to see that video. But Shore Laddie has been spotted since the 1700s and still seen to this day. <laughs> like I said earlier, Iceland, I am loving you already. All righty, let's keep on moving on to the Vatnageda or Vatnajeda, but I think it's Vatnageda, or the Lock Pike, which is also known as the Iturgeta, or Poisonous Pike. And it seems to be a poisonous, big-ass, yellow, furry fish. Although, again, it depends where you get your info, because some describe Vatnageda being more like a tiny monk-like fish covered in blue fur, like a flounder fish. Now, it's said to live in the darkest waters of Iceland and that merely touching it is enough to cause death. They say that the corrosive toxins can dissolve organic and inorganic matter alike and eat through layers of clothing. Even weirder, ghosts are not immune to Vagnageta's poison. Vagnageta's poison. They're not immune, so ghosts are even, like, fucked if they touch it. Now, the presence of a dead Vatnageta is enough to scare off any evil spirit, and Vatnageta fat will cure pain caused by ghosts and sorcery. So it's got a lot of punch to it, man. But if you're thinking, well, how do I kill a Vatnageta, Kurt, if I come across one of those? Well, easy. Sunlight will kill it. That's right. Bring it out in the sun, vampire style. Boom, it's dead. You're good to go. Now, they say that the Vatnageta is only seen at the surface before storms and in fog. So if you're looking to catch one, look, I can only assume to keep ghosts away and not to touch it. Uh, look, here's how you supposedly do it, if you want to do it. It seems like it's a very simple process. To catch a Vatnageta, the hook must be baited with a gold ring. Oh, wait, there's one more step. And... You must wear gloves made of human skin. Now, I don't want to judge anybody. I don't know how it is in Iceland, but it is really hard to find a pair of human skin gloves where I live. I tried all week so I could, like, put them on and take a photo, like, hey, guys, new episode coming up soon. I got a brand new pair of human skin gloves. Couldn't find a pair. They say, though, that if you catch one, you need to be careful because it's so poisonous, it can melt rocks. I don't know. All right, here's a story of one, but there isn't enough grain of salt on this earth for this legend. Ready? Here we go. A sorcerer who aided a farmer and his son. Some evil spirit was visiting their home, 
and it repeatedly hauntings were driving the young daughter to madness. Obviously, this was translated not by me. The sorcerer, wearing human skin gloves and armed with a hook baited with gold, captured a Vatnagetta from the Geduvnat, Geduvnan, Geduvatan, Geduvatan, it's Pike Lake in English, from the Pike Lake. Now, the dead fish was placed in a bottle, wrapped in multiple layers of sheepskin and leather, and loaded onto a pack horse for the journey home. But by the time the sorcerer returned home, the horse had developed a hairless, sunken patch on its back where the Vatnagetta had been, and it was debilitated for the rest of its life. The Vatnagetta was then buried by the sorcerer under the threshold of the home, and the ghost never returned. That little girl, she made a full recovery. The one that was driven into madness. Yeah, full recovery. So I guess it's good to have one if you can get one. But I don't really know how to, you know, keep it. I get like, you know, you can put it on there, but that seemed to mess up this dude's horse. I don't know. It seems all kinds of bad. Why? Just don't catch one. Live with a ghost. You're fine. All right, let's keep with marine cryptids for a little bit longer and go to Rokal. Rokal, which apparently means recoiled eel. Now, this two-foot-long eel has iron-hard scales and razor-sharp fins. Kurt here, here's a fun fact. Eels don't have fins. Anyhow, it lives in stagnant ponds, polluted waters, and sometimes even rivers. It secretes a corrosive poison that it uses to burrow into the ground where it waits for human or animals to step into the water where they're hiding Then it coils around their legs, slicing through their flesh with their eel fins. But for some reason, even though they can amputate humans and most animals, sheep are safe as their legs are too narrow for the rukhal to gain a hold. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Can completely cut off a human's leg, take off a horse's leg, no problem at all. But you put a sheep in that water, oh, nope. That's its, that's its Achilles heel. That's its Achilles sheep heel. Now, technically, Rokhal are real, though, because Rokhal, and I'm sick of saying that too, in today's language has evolved to mean electric eels. Fun fact, electric eels also don't have fins. Look, I don't care where you're coming from. You want to have a recoiled eel that's two foot long with iron hard scales and razor sharp things that can cut anything's legs off except sheep? Sure. But don't say eels have fins. Come on, guys. Ah, that's Google 101. You know, I guarantee you, I'm not going to do it. But if I guarantee you, if I Googled, hey, do eels have fins, Google? It would be like, no. Or if I had Alexa turn on, I'd be like, Alexa, do, do eels have fins? And Alexa would be like, no, eels don't have fins. That's a stupid question. All right. Up next is yet another water-based cryptid, the Langbacher. The Lingbakur, Lingbaker, Lingbacker, the Lingbacker, I don't know, L-Y-N-G-B-A-K-U-R, which was, is, never really was, a huge whale. It's a huge whale. It's apparently so big it had heather growing on its back, and it looked like an island. Now, when sailors would land on the island Lingbacker, it would dive down and then drown and eat them all. All right, look, this one... It's, this story's been around since the 1800s. It's probably, or sorry, since the 800s. And it's probably more of a warning tale for the size and powers of whales and, you know, going out and, you know, being a whaling, whaling man, a whaler, whatever the fuck you call him when someone's trying to kill a whale. I'm sure it's more of a warning tale for them than an actual cryptid. But there is a saga online that I think it originated from, and it's directly from the internet, which never lies. So here you go. As Orvar Otter and his crew were sailing southwesterly through the Greenland Sea in vengeance against the troll Ogmunder Floki, slayer of Eithjolf, this is harder than Lord of the Rings, Jesus Christ, the deck officer Vigner knew this area would be dangerous and made Ogdar agree to sail the ship beginning the next day. So he said, yeah, sure, that's fine. As they sailed, they spotted two rocks which rose out of the water. The presence of these rocks were like, hey, that's weird, I don't know what that is. So they pass by this large island, and it's covered in heather. Curious, they go, hmm, I want to go back and check out that island. So he sends five men out to check out on the island. But as soon as they approached where the island had been before, they saw that it and the two rocks had vanished. They went, what the crap? 
then sure enough, he's like, hey, don't don't go there. If you if you had landed there and send those five men out, they would have drowned because the rocks and that island must have been two sea monsters, Lingbacker, the greatest whale in the world, and Hafgufer, Hafgufa, who bore all the monsters in the sea. The rocks had surely been the nose of Hafgufa, the island, Lingbacker, and he said, Ogmunder had surely summoned the beast to kill Oder and his men. There you go. That is the story. It's, it's perfectly told. I got every name right. I nailed that story is what I'm saying. All right. I'm going to pause for a quick second with cryptids found on, island, uh, on Iceland to say this next thing. My only, only complaint with Iceland is there are zero Bigfoot sightings. That's right. If you are deathly afraid of Bigfoot attacks, move to Iceland because they don't have any, not one. Although, now they say it out loud, if you're really that afraid of Bigfoot attacks, it's probably because you're being hunted by a Bigfoot and you going to Iceland will only lead the Bigfoot there and because of your selfish actions, a lone Bigfoot will roam Iceland now. Way to think about yourselves. Sorry. I got myself riled up about the thought of a lone Bigfoot roaming Iceland for all eternity. All right, now on to more prominent cryptids in Iceland. These are the ones that you think of when you think of Iceland and Bjork. Is Bjork from Iceland or am I just making fun of her for no reason? I don't even know. What I'm talking about, not Bjork, is elves and trolls. That's right. Elves and trolls play a big part in Iceland mythology. And even day-to-day life, even. I mean, like I said earlier, 55% of people in Iceland believe in them. And there are some fun tales about elves and trolls, but mostly this is going to be about elves, and people trying to protect them. Like this one. In 1982, 150 Icelanders went to the NATO base in Keflavik to look for elves who might be endangered by American phantom jets and AWAC reconnaissance planes. Yeah, good up. Stand up against the Americans. Screw Americans and their reconnaissance planes. Protect the elves. I'm with you there. Then, 2004. Alcoa, Elko, had to have a government expert certified that their chosen building site was free of archaeological sites, that's cool, but also ones related to the Huldufolk, Huldufolk, which means hidden people or elves. And it just dawned on me, I have not done the pronunciation for Huldufolk. So I really need to do that because I don't want to keep saying that one wrong because that's the biggest one on here. So let's go. Hultefolk. 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 All right, Hultefolk. All right, so they, they said, hey, wait, you can't, put, you can't build on here until we make sure that there's no Hultefolk people and buildings there before they could build an aluminum smelter, basically. Then in 2011... Hultefolk were believed by some to be responsible for an incident in Belongervik where rocks rained down on residential streets. Yeah, that's right. A bunch of rocks rained down on residential streets, and they didn't go, well, it's probably the volcano. I mean, it's a huge amount of volcanic activity on Iceland, but it's got to be the Hultefolk. Then, 2013, proposed road construction from the Alftanes Peninsula to the Reykjavik suburb of Gerobar was stopped because elf supporters and environmental groups protested, stating that the road would destroy the habitat of elves and local cultural beliefs. Like I said, if you haven't figured it out yet, it said that hidden people, Huldefolk, are known to be extremely protective of their homes and will cause great harm to those who disturb them or to try and hurt them or their homes. So even though they're these tiny, cool, little magical creatures, the people, the townspeople of Iceland are like, we got to protect them because, A, they can fuck us up if they want to, and B, they're magic, and that's cool. All where was I? 2015, a new road was being laid through an enchanted spot in the lava field of Galgaron. After many failed attempts, heavy machinery had continually broken down for no apparent reason, Finally, numerous workers, they'd had suffered like a bunch of freak accidents. The construction company couldn't get the machinery to work. And the construction company was like, all right, all right, forget it. We'll move the road so that it would bypass the whole Huldefolk community completely. And uh, yeah, because of that, supposedly, 
they were able to start everything right back up, do the construction. Everybody's happy, especially the Huldefolk. So what exactly do the Huldefolk look like? Well, the hidden people, I'm just going to call them that now, they're elves that are either bulky with black hair and gray clothes, or they're beautiful beings. I don't know. There's a whole lot of discrepancies in their descriptions. No matter what they look like, though, everything agrees. They have great magic, and it says they live in mounds. They dislike crosses, electricity, and churches. Why? Who knows? Are they all tiny little vampires? Don't know. Now, in Iceland, there are holidays that actually celebrate the hidden people. For example, New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, where the Hurdafolk move to a new location. So what people do is they leave candles out to help them find their way to their new location, which I think that one's kind of cool. I like that one. Next, we have the 13th night where elf bonfires are done. What that means, I don't know. They just have elf bonfires on the 13th night. Then, on the midsummer night, where you sit in the middle of a crossroads, the Hoda folk will try to get to you uh, to get you to either eat their food, and if you eat their food, you'll be punished. But if you don't eat their food, you'll be rewarded, which seems like a very simple task. I don't know how fancy and cool their food is. Maybe it's like, oh my god, that's my favorite thing ever, Hoda folk food. I got to have a bite. But if you don't have a bite, you're going to be rewarded. So if you do that, if you sit in a crossroads on Midsummer's Night in Iceland, and then all of a sudden you see a plate of food. Just don't eat the plate of food, and then boom, you get like a wish or something. I don't know. Then, Christmas night. The Huldefolk are said to have wild parties. And and I'm sure you already know the old Icelandic expression that there ain't no party like a Huldefolk party because a Huldefolk party is magic. Well, from what I found online, that is very true. You want to go to a Huldefolk party. Those dudes know how to party. I want to drink with some hula folk, man. All right, now this next story, though, is either about a hula folk or an alien or some other cryptid. You decide. That's right. Oh, Stitch decides. That's right. Icelandic singer Vigdis Hauser Harrarder. That's, come on, that's not even a name. Uh... So she's a singer. Let's listen to a bit of her music before we continue on with the Huldefolk story. Uh, let's no, let's let's put her on here. All right, you ready? Ah, here we go. No, that's not her singing. I don't know. I can't find video of her singing. So unfortunately, we'll never know. But anyhow, the story goes that she was out videotaping a waterfall. When she got home, she said she noticed something on the video that she didn't see when she was videotaped. She was just videotaping a waterfall. It was all happy and good. And she gets home and she watches the video and she's like, oh, remember when I videotaped that waterfall? What the fuck is that thing? So here's the news story. That's right, a news story in the middle of an episode. Ancient aliens spotted near Iceland waterfall. Conspiracy theories make bizarre claims. That's right. Alien hunters believe that they have discovered an extraterrestrial here on Earth and believe it is proof we share this planet with ancient beings from another planet. A video shot near Tedefoss Waterfall in Iceland, Jokulsargljufur National Park, appears to show an alien being holding onto the cliff. Now, this mysterious being in question appears to move, making it look like it's alive. Again, Icelandic singer Vigdis Hauser Hörder was videotaping the waterfall, didn't notice until she got home. And then prominent UFO researcher Scott C. Waring, who saw the video, says he believes it's evidence that ancient aliens live here on Earth. Furthermore, he believes the Icelandic people may have confused the supposed ancient aliens with Huldufolk. All righty. I'm so ready to watch this video. It's, I built it up a lot. Let's see what it's like. Here's waterfall. Oh. Oh, there's something black there. What the hell is that thing? Is it a bug? Wait, go back. What was that thing? Hold on. I, I I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say what the scale is. Is that thing an inch long or 16 feet long? Like, there is something black and weird looking. But how she didn't notice it? She's zooming in right on it. 
So I call BS the fact she didn't notice it. All right, enough with the waterfall in the background. I've already got a, the fish tank going. Um, I'm calling BS that she didn't notice this until she got home, but I'll post the video on uh, Facebook. And please, if I forget to post it also on the uh, the patron page, please remind me. I'll, I'll gladly do that. I want to make sure that everybody can see it. I want to know your opinions on what the hell is in the video. Is it a cricket? Is it a grasshopper? Is it a huldefolk? Is it an ancient alien that is uh, proof that the Hula folk are aliens? I don't know. I don't know. But let's continue on and let's go to story time. Because here is an amazing Icelandic tale. Again, grain of salt found online, but it seems kind of neat. My grandparents live in the east fjords of Iceland, and our, and our family has lived in the same spot for over 300 years. It's a large area, and our farmland includes huge mountains in the background and waterfalls and the ocean in our front yard. Sounds awesome. Our farm has a couple of houses. The old house is the most noticeable. It's surrounded by small houses and a barn-looking house. In front of the old house stands our church that my great-grandfather built 157 years ago. It's in pretty good shape. Well, that's awesome. The previous church got a bit over 200 years old before it got blown away in a storm, so my great-grandfather chained our current church down so it won't happen again. There's been a graveyard there ever since the first people came to Iceland, so we know a lot of the graves on our land, but we don't have a record on who's who are laying there. My grandparents run a guest house during the summer, and it's been going on almost every year I've been helping them. When I was young, I visited them a lot by myself, and I love hearing my grandma's stories, especially the weird stories that concerned our family and our places. The stories had everything from elves, trolls, ghosts, to hidden people. I thought they were the same thing as elves. Just to give you a bit of an idea of what kind of creature her stories withheld, I'll explain them quickly. The hidden people are a special breed of people. They look just like us, but they can be quite charming. They live in the hills and can, and can control if you can see them or not. The elves are beautiful creatures, but are very dangerous. Oh, so I, look, I might have gotten them I might have gotten them confused. Maybe elves aren't hidden people. Look, Iceland, I'm sorry. I still love you. Please love me back. Now, the hidden people are said to have their own homes and churches, and our family even have a small church and a couple of homes that we know are inhabited by them. When I was a kid, we weren't allowed anywhere near those places. Elves really like to steal people. Now, the trolls, I never noticed, but we have many stories about them in the fjords. I love the stories where there was a woman, where there were women trolls that ate priests or made humans into half-trolls and used them. Also, the ones that own them and live on the islands in the fjords. No one dared to step foot on the islands for a long time. Now that I look back, I notice that almost all stories end tragically. The ghost stories were probably the most realistic one, and we have a lot of them on our land since it's very old, and it has had a lot of bloodshed throughout history. This story is a ghost story. Even though I was fascinated by my grandmother's story, I never truly believed them. I always thought, oh, back in the day, there was no light in the winter, a lot of thick fog and very few people, so of course it was easy to fill the empty times by made-up ghost stories. But it wasn't until I was almost 13 I went for a whole summer to help them out with their guest house. I, lived in a sli I, I slept in the living room of one of our houses, and there was a huge window overlooking the old houses, the church, and the ocean. I loved the nature and was fascinated by how it was growing and changing with us. I used to take very long walks by the ocean or up to the mountains during the day, but I always felt a bit uneasy, like someone was watching me, but I never really did anything about it. I just carried on. Two weeks into my stay, on a clear night with a bright full moon, I was sleeping and dreaming quite heavily. All of a sudden, my dreaming stopped and I woke up. I opened my eyes, and there stood a woman straight across from me. Now, I didn't recognize her, but she was wearing old-looking clothes. She might have been in her mid-30s and had mouse-brown hair and blue eyes. She was smiling, but not in a creepy way, more in a motherly way, like I was safe. I just stared at her and thought to myself, I can't be rude, so I told her, thank you for coming, and I saw her in her expression, she understood, and then she disappeared. I sat up, and first, the first thought that came to my mind was that it was my guardian angel. Now, I told my grandmother the next day, and she said that I was lucky to have someone looking over me and never really thought much more of it, it just kind of carried on. Three weeks after I saw the woman, I started noticing a weird feeling, especially when I was in the old house. The same feeling I had when I was alone in the nature, like someone was watching me. In the old house by the sink, there's a window turning to the ocean and a clock next to it that's broken. Looks like something from the 50s. I don't know why it's still there. It's always been there as far as I know. Then, on a sunny, on a sunny day around noon when I was doing the dishes and after all the guests had left, I got that feeling again, and this time it was very strong. I looked around and saw nothing, so I nervously laughed it off and carried on with the dishes. All of a sudden, I saw a shadow in the reflection of the glass of the clock like someone had been standing behind me. So I turned around quickly, but there was nobody there. I decided I should go outside just to get some air. So I go out and take some deep breaths and try to shake the feeling away. 
When I turned towards the house and looked in the window in the kitchen, I saw a woman in an apron cutting bread. I was so shocked that I just stood there for a while. I didn't feel scared, just shocked. This wasn't the same woman as before, but this woman I recognized. She looked a lot like my great-grandmother with long black hair and braids, piercing green eyes, and high cheekbones. I'd only seen her in pictures since she died a year before I was born, but we share the same name, so I always liked the pictures of her the best. Now, she disappeared after a couple of seconds. That felt like a minute. Now, I ran to my grandmother that was in her house, and I told her what had happened. She just smiled and said, oh, that's great. She was so happy that her mother was still taking care of the old house. There were a couple of more incidents like that during the summer, but there was one that has always stayed in my mind. When it occurred, I realized I wasn't going crazy, but there was something going on I can't truly explain. All right, wrapping it up here. In the end of the summer, I decided that I wanted to sleep in the old house before I would leave. I stayed in the, the room that my mom used to sleep in when she was a child. There were other tourists sleeping in the house, so I felt safe. It was uh, hard to fall asleep since the house was old. It made a lot of old sounds, and after, um, after all, what happened in the summer, I became a bit paranoid, so I wasn't really sure what was out there anymore. I slept the whole night, but my dream was stronger and more vivid than usual. In my dream, I saw two kids playing around in the field of our houses. One boy, one girl, they were both with white hair, blue eyes, milky white skin. They were really young, probably around three or four years old. Now I noticed a man in the distance that was waving and approaching them and started playing with them. He was dressed in old-fashioned clothes, but I felt like I recognized his smile. I had an idea that he was my great-grandfather. When they came closer to me, they were all holding hands and laughing. The sun was shining, the grass was green. I couldn't help but smile the whole time. I wanted to talk to them, but I couldn't. I just stood there outside the old house and watched them play and laugh. When I woke up, I was exhausted but happy. My first thought was to tell my grandmother my dream. So I met her in our kitchen and told her all about my dream. She asked a couple of questions about the man and what the children looked like, and I described them best I could. That's when she started crying. I really didn't understand. I asked her what was going on and asked if it was her father in my dream, and she said she hoped so. She told me that when she was young, she had two children before she had my mom, who was the oldest child. The two children died a a year apart because they got some kind of sickness and no one in our family knew the, knew of them except my grandparents. She explained that they had one boy and one girl, but sadly they didn't get older than four years old. She went into her room and into her drawer and found a little box that I'd never seen before and inside were two locks of white hair tied up with ribbons, some paper and a picture of, a, of my young-looking grandparents and two small children outside the church on a summer's day. I immediately recognized the children straight away with their white hair and milky skin smiling just like in the dream. How crazy cool is that? I like that story. All righty. Uh, there's another story I have. It's a shorter story, though, so don't worry. It's by, I'm sorry, I'm going to get it wrong, Sigtrigger Balderson, a Reykjavik local. He said his mother says she grew up on an Icelandic farm with invisible playmates that other children couldn't see. An anecdote he delivered with this disclaimer that it might have been a case of souped-up imaginary friends. As you guys know from anybody who's listened to the Imaginary Friends episode, I like a good imaginary friend story. But the story of his grandmother's brush with terminal cancer and her resulting recovery, that makes him truly wonder if his mother was friends with the Hurdefolk. My mother, one night, she wakes up to see doctors come into the room and start treating my grandmother. She was following the conversation of the nurse and the two doctors. They were talking amongst each other, and one of the doctors said, Well, I think this is going to be okay. My mother was just kind of relieved and went back to sleep. In the morning, she asked my grandmother, who was just waking up, Did you speak to the doctors last night? And her grandmother said, What doctors? There was no doctors here. There was no one here. Right after this, she had a miraculous recovery. That's cool, too. I like everything about that. Alrighty, let's continue on. No episode will be complete without a UFO in it, right? So let's keep the UFO stories going for 2021 with Icelandic UFO stories. And let me click on it right now. Alrighty. An Iceland UFO glows bright, descends into town of Akuri. And there's a video of it, and I want to watch that video, but I'm going to mute it so I can tell you the story. A man shooting a time-lapse video of a town in Iceland captured an eerie, glowing light that flew into town. YouTube user Bjarki Mikkelsen went back to the tape he filmed in northern Iceland's Akuri on September 29th and noticed the fireball. At the 118 mark in this video, the red glowing light falls from the heavens and straight into the town. All right, let's go up to that. What? Oh, it's an edited video. Okay, here we go. Huh. 
Yeah, it's a very slow-moving reddish-orange light that just floats down into the town. Hold on. I want to skip back for a second. How far away does it come from? It comes from quite a distance. Does it disappear? Yeah, no, it really comes from a far, far distance, like a plane's coming in for landing. That's that's interesting. They say that there's uh, there comes a strange glowing ball that I capture on a webcam. I wonder about that. Now, the video has since been slowed down. That's the one I just watched. And scrutinized by paranormal organizations like UFO Disclosure Ireland, which speculates that there are two beacon-type lights flashing at the moment the object lands in town. Of course, there could be an easy explanation for the object. We just don't know what it could be. Drones, maybe? Unmanned aircraft? We don't know. But it is a very bizarre, very interesting video that I'll have to make sure that I post up as well because I like a good Icelandic UFO video. Alrighty, the uh, the chair of the Association of UFO Enthusiasts in Iceland, Magnus Scarf, uh, I'm not even going to try it, told RUV on Monday that he has registered 170 UFO sightings from individuals in Iceland over the years, 30 of which he said were very detailed. Half of the 170 sightings in Iceland relate to lights in the night sky, what we'd call a UFO. Now, Magnus said that a detailed case was recently reported by Alda Jon's daughter and her husband, who saw three silver dishes flying over Lake Rauvatn in the outskirts of Reykjavik. The UFO stopped above the lake for a moment before continuing in its journey. There you go. I like that one too. All right, now let's. I'm not going to end it just yet. I got some stuff to. I still have some more UFO stuff that I want to talk about. So let's go to. One second here. Let's go to a paranormal news story in this episode and a page that I like to call 90% pop-up ads, 10% news. It says, boy, there's so many pop-ups that just popped up. It's ridiculous. It says, UFO sighting news. Egg-shaped spaceship seen hovering over Iceland. When it comes to finding evidence of alien life or alien activity here on Earth, we need compelling evidence. And according to this, the UFO that was captured in a photo taken by Reykjavik local fashion designer Sigma Maya in an original post that was shared on Facebook, Maya said that she had stepped outside in downtown Reykjavik when she saw the oddly shaped cloud hovering on homes in Iceland. She captured the photo, eggs or aliens. Wearing upon seeing the post, adjusted the photo to make a better picture of how the egg-shaped cloud is actually an alien spaceship. He also suggested that the aliens could be monitoring the area to study human activity. Alrighty, let me click on the photo and see what it looks like. It looks like a egg-shaped cloud. Looks exactly like an egg-shaped cloud. I will admit that it's a very odd-looking egg-shaped cloud. I I can't 100% say that oh wow, somebody else said, "Hey, look, I got one above my house too." And it's the same egg-shaped cloud. Okay, that's interesting to me. But I don't know are egg-shaped clouds something that are 100% UFOs or do they have natural forming Egg-shaped clouds. I don't know. All righty. Here's another one about good old Magnus, though, that has the 170 UFO sightings. Nearly 170 reported UFO sightings. And this photo of Magnus is amazing. He's kind of doing like the Darth Vader choke hold kind of a hand gesture in the photo. I kind of dig him. Says the chairman of FFH UFO Enthusiast Club, Magnus, says there are nearly 170 reports. Um... He added on that 30 or locally reported sightings have been very well detailed. He said it's compiled between 160 and 170 accounts of UFOs with follow-up interviews a year after the initial statement. He uses these two interviews to compare details and determine if they're consistent or if there were fabrications after the fact. I like that quite a bit. He says about half the testimonies he receives of supposed UFO sightings do turn out simply to be planes or satellites, but others are unquestionable. He says, you have cases such as that as Alda Yonderster and her husband. They're driving when they saw three discs flying over red water, stop briefly to hover, and then dart away. And he said that um, there's a lot of footage he can't explain. That is very cool. And I think finally for this one, let's see. Uh, let's see. A series of lectures were held in Iceland about the... Icelandic newspapers about uh, UFOs in Iceland. Um, they say, they go on to say that uh, hundreds of people traveled to Snæfellsjökull uh, and Hotel Bjuller 
which uh, sits on a lava field close to the glaciers. And they said, this is where they're going to be. This is where these UFOs are going to arrive. On the day before the arrival, the newspaper ran an informal survey and it said there was a 51% chance that the aliens would visit this landing site that somehow they decided would be there and added that people would feel them even if they were invisible. Not everybody is excited about the upcoming alien visit. A woman in Grundafjur, a nearby village, says, I do not want to meet the beings if they come. There is a real danger of abduction. I am scared. They said in the end there was no need for worry. More than 500 Earthlings from different countries, among them international alien specialists, waited on a cold winter's night, but no aliens were seen. The whole thing ended up in a big party and fireworks were shot off as a token of friendship. There was no hard feelings amongst mo most of the members of the informal galactic Wel welcoming committee. Oh, come on, man. I want to be part of the informal galactic welcoming committee. Apparently this happened in 1993 and again in 2012. So seems like a good party, though. Invite me to that. Alrighty, and finally, we got a snippet from this article. So are UFOs seen in Iceland? The answer is yes. UFOs are seen all over Iceland and around the Arctic. In uh, March 29th, 2003, a man takes a picture of two snowmobiles moving away from him. When the photo is developed, there's a clear picture of a UFO in the sky near the snowmobiles. Now, there's stories that Icelanders will place food out for the small creatures of the glaciers, especially the especially the Snaffeljökull Glacier. They describe the little people as having gray skin. Here's a direct direct connection for little people and the, inf and the infamous grays. So what they're saying is basically, are the, the hidden folk... Are they maybe gray aliens? Now, a naval resource, um, a naval source recently in Iceland witnessed three large UFOs over the Iceland, over Iceland, while Icelandic fishermen describes UFOs coming in and out of the surrounding waters while they're fishing. Many UFO sightings are centered in the Langnesfjord area of Iceland, and of course, there are many sightings by pilots of Icelandic airlines. What this uh, person that wrote this, what I believe is there is a UFO base near and around the landscape of Iceland, and it's probably been there since the beginning of time. This is why there are so many stories about little people inhabiting this island. Iceland is a hotbed of UFO activity, and little people are actually aliens that Icelanders are seeing. Um, when people see ferry circles, are they actually UFO landing spots? When people say that the encounter is a ferry, sometimes the ferry will point a wand and they'll be temporarily paralyzed. Would this actually be an immobilizing weapon used by the greys? There are far too many similarities between the greys and the little people of Iceland. I believe the Greys and the little people of Iceland are one and the same. Again, this is just the person that reported this, not me. So, interesting take on um, on UFOs in Iceland. And who am I to say? Maybe the hidden folk or the hulda folk are, are gray aliens. I don't freaking know. All I know is that there's a lot of crazy shit going on over in Iceland, and I want to be part of this party, man. I want to go to Iceland. I want to stop at the ghost bar. I want to have some fun then. Well, not then. While I'm learning about the ghosts and the uh, the cryptids of Iceland. The only thing I don't want to see is I don't want to see that flipping uh, fish that'll melt rock. I don't need to see that thing. I'm good. You know, you guys keep that fish. I want to go for the Hulda folk and, and, and I won't eat their food and then I'll get a wish and all that fun stuff. Well, there you have it. That is... I don't know. That's an episode about Icelandic uh, paranormal stuff. I don't know what he, that's what I said I was going to do. I think that's what I did. I hope you guys like this episode because these are the episodes that I love to do where I have to research, hardcore research a place that I want to visit to find out all about their paranormal stuff. And to kind of answer that question I did at the very beginning, I don't know if Iceland, it seems to have mostly its own cryptids, but then it also has gray aliens and aliens and UFOs that were seen prior to, you know, big contact. So I don't really know if they, and ghosts, they seem to have ghosts as well. So I don't really know if a place that is so isolated will not have any of the same connections to cryptids or ghosts or UFOs or aliens that like a place like America has. You know, I just don't know, but it's an interesting theory and I want to try and, uh, I want to try and figure out if if it does prove that if you're in an isolated remote area, the cryptids and the UFOs and the ghost stories will be so vastly unique to that isolated area. I don't know. Someone smarter than me has to figure it out. So I think 
I'll just keep putting out all the content. You compile the data. How's that? That's our that's our give and take. All righty. Once again, I would like to thank the producer of this episode, Chris Jones. Uh, she wanted to be a producer in the episode, so she gets to be a producer for the next two months of episodes. If you'd like to be a producer on an episode, please feel free to head on over to patreon.com slash paranormal almanac for all your paranormal almanac needs. Hope you guys like this one. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Throw you in that side. I don't know what you're doing. I keep with the past. I keep with the past. I keep with the past.